let's imagine that you're that company or you're that summer camp for kids or you're that university that brings people back quote unquote early and then the breakout happens at your company or your university or your summer camp how are you going to feel Welcome to the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. I'm Fred Burton. Today I'm speaking to Brett Hurt, the CEO and founder of data.world. Data.world is focused on building the modern catalog for data and analysis as well as the world's largest collaborative public data catalog. Brett, it's an honor to have you on the Pen and Sword podcast today. Yeah, thanks a lot Fred. I've been a long-time fan of Stratfor. Can you give our listeners the 50,000-foot view of Data.World, how it came to be and why? Yeah, so Data.World is my sixth company as an entrepreneur. It's four and a half years old now. It's my first B corporation. I've got three terrific co-founders, and we're about 60 people now. There's two sides of the business. On one side, we are a free utility for the world, representing the world's largest collaborative data community including a recently launched COVID-19 data portal that's getting a historic level of traffic on our site. So that's a utility that's used for sharing all types of public data sets on cancer, climate change, poverty, nutrition, pretty much any topic you can think of. And then on the other side of the business, it's the enterprise data catalog for the Associated Press, a number of very large Fortune 500 customers that use us to really get a handle on their internal data sets and democratize access to those across their teams with an interface that everybody in their company can use. One of our customers is one of the world's largest strategy consulting firms, and they've had a historic level of usage since COVID-19 because their Fortune 500 customers are you know, really struggling and some of them have great opportunities, but the facts on the ground are changing so fast, so quickly, and that's all locked away in the secrets of their data. And the more data has been siloed in those large companies, the bigger of a problem it is. That really prevents them from operating efficiently and effectively. And that's only compounded in this COVID-19 crisis with all of their employees working from home and not having the keys to the valuable intel inside their company, you know, much like Stratfor provides intel for lots of companies around the world. Yeah, that's fascinating. Now, talk a little bit about the COVID data portal, meaning what sources do you draw from? How do you collate that data? And is it presented in a format that everybody can kind of rapidly consume and understand? Yeah, so we launched this because it was an outgrowth of what was already happening on our platform. So we, we saw a historic level of traffic just start to come online as soon as it was clear COVID-19 was a big problem for the U.S. and a big problem for the globe. And we just saw traffic skyrocket. And one of our partners, Tableau, had announced a COVID-19 data source and some visualizations associated with that. And Tableau searched around for where to host that data decided on data.world, that led to the initial spark of a lot of traffic in addition to what was organically happening. Then the Associated Press decided to open up more and more data sets for public use. These are data sets that had previously been used in private, 
for news reporting by the Washington Post, the New York Times, USA Today, CNN, and a number of others. And a lot of the articles that people listening to this have been reading about data related to COVID-19 have been powered through data.world. You've just never probably heard of us. It was a really historic moment for the Associated Press to decide to public source that data, kind of open source it, if you will. And a number of other partners you know, jumped in. Uh, there's a company here in Austin called Smarter Sorting, which launched the largest data set in the world on disinfectants that can be used. Many hundreds of them. It's not just Clorox and it's not just yeah. you know, hand sanitizer. And so we compiled all of that just based on what we were seeing happen in the community into data.world slash resources slash coronavirus. And I think you can share that link with your listeners. It's really exciting. I mean, just on LinkedIn, um, an individual data scientist, you know, what we would call a citizen data scientist in India shared data that he's been compiling about how this is breaking out in different areas of India and visualizations he's done and shared that all of that data was now available on data.world. And we've just seen a huge impact in the community using us and lots of governments, you know, municipalities, companies using this data sets, you know, lots of independent news organizations. And that feels really good. You know, we're, we're doing our best to help. We're a B corporation. We're a very proud B corporation. Our mission statement is to build the most meaningful, collaborative, and abundant data resource in the world. That'll be true 100 years from now. And being able to help in this time of very historic change, you know, the most uh, costly bailouts that we've seen in our lifetime around the globe, you know, which is definitely a bad virus. I mean, there's no doubt it's crashing the New York City healthcare system. But the question that will be asked for many years after this is how bad was it really? What was the real infection rate? What was the actual infection to death rate? Were our policies the right policies? Um, should we isolate like this again economically given the cost in terms of tens of millions of jobs, in terms of other impacts not just unemployment, but people that are waiting on cancer surgeries, people that are waiting on heart surgeries, all in the midst of this. I think what the net takeaway for me is, as the CEO of Data.World, is that it really proves that data for policy has never been more important. I mean, if this isn't obvious that data is important as you shape companies and you shape policy and government and you shape policy in your nonprofits, Many of these things will only be able to analyze in hindsight because we didn't have the level of testing available. We were woefully unprepared for this. We'll just, you know, some of those things, it'll take years to figure out. And there will be many documentaries and many movies made about this period that we're living through. And it's certainly the most historic period of my lifetime. Yeah, no doubt, Brad, and, and mine too. And And Lord knows I've lived through a lot of tragedy over the years from embassies lying in rubble and plane crashes and hostage takings. But the difference what I see here, and I, 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 first off, I applaud you for what you've done in tackling this because I can tell you, for example, when we had uh, global terrorism beginning and starting to 
emerge in the 80s back on my watch, we struggled with getting good data sets at times and trying to make sense of that. And of course, we, we certainly lack the technology and the tools that exist today. But as we here at Stratfor started to watch this come out of China, trying to make sense of this, I think you're right. I think the data sets are going to be so critical and this will be looked at in all probability for the next 100 years. It will. It will. I mean, it's it's as historic as the Great Depression. Fortunately, from a Fed perspective, we're acting the opposite of how we acted during the Great Depression. We're, we have a historic level of stimulus, much more so than 2008, as you know. But, you know, the, the big question will be, could it all be avoided from the beginning? Could it have been contained? Who was really responsible? Um, what is the actual cost of all the lockdowns? And look, I'm all for prioritizing lives. Absolutely. You know, I'm a humanitarian first and foremost, but we just have to ask ourselves and we will be asking ourselves for many years to come, was it worth taking our debt from 23.3 trillion to whatever it will be at the end of this. I don't know what it'll be at the end of this. It will probably be close to $30 trillion. You know, as Ray Dalio said recently on his Ted Connect interview, that 70% of the world economy runs on US dollars. Thank goodness we're in that situation where we can borrow. Right now, with the levels of debt that we're taking on, it really puts us in a precarious long-term situation, even if we are the reserve currency of the world. You know, we'll be asking ourselves these questions for a long time, and our children will be absolutely studying this period. And our daughter's 15 and our son is 10. And I've been especially asking our daughter to really tune in and and really take stock because she's going to be telling her children stories about this time And I'm still very much an optimist of the U.S. I I guess I should make that very much known. I think we, we absolutely live in the greatest country in the history of the world. We are incredibly inventive. We'll get back to our conversation with Brett Hurt in just a moment. But I wanted to speak to you first about why I think Stratfor's content is an extraordinary opportunity in these times of drastic change. The coronavirus pandemic has affected every single aspect of government, business, life, and technology. How we, as individuals and societies, manage these risks has direct implications for the broader public interest. Individuals and businesses are turning to Stratfor and RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Because we deliver intelligence. With everything going on right now, it's time for intelligence. Please check us out. Podcast listeners can take advantage of a special subscription rate by checking out stratford.com slash podcast offer. That's stratford.com slash podcast offer. Thank you. Brett, when you look at the data that you're collecting at data.world, in the intelligence community, you have intelligence gaps. Where do you see intelligence gaps existing in the COVID data that you're collecting now? What is the actual infection rate? That is by far the biggest unknown. And that's where you have the most confounding variables. You have some people who believe that the 
infection rate is super high and the death rate is super low. Whether or not is actually a truth is completely unknown. We won't know that until we have massive testing for the antibodies to know whether or not, for example, I had a sickness back in December and it felt like a really bad science inf infection. I felt extremely tired and fortunately nobody else in the family got it, but I did have to go to the doctor. It got bad enough where I had to go to the doctor and they test me for the flu and I didn't have the flu. You know, was I carrying COVID-19 right. back in December? Maybe. If I had a test for the antibodies, then I would know. The second place is our country is using a consistent measure to report death rates. And there's been a lot of confounding information on that. As you know, Italy was reporting deaths in hospitals, period, as COVID-19, just because their hospital system was pretty crashed. And not really reporting was this due to a second infection of, a, of pneumonia or something like that. So, I mean, really understanding what the actual cause of death is and what other factors the patient had is very, very important. One thing that's pretty clear is that no one in the U.S., whether they're Democrat or Republican, wants to keep our economy 100% shut down until we have a vaccine. That's just unsustainable. You know, absolutely historic rise in unemployment. It really makes you very scared to think about keeping the economy shut down for another three months, four months, five months, or another, heaven forbid, 12 months until we have a reliable vaccine. You know, these are the big questions that I have right now that people are digging into data-wise. And to really understand the infection rate, we have to understand how to test for antibodies and we have to understand how to do rapid testing. Yeah, I mean, having worked in the government and, and dealt with contingency planning over the course of my years, I mean, it, it's hard to explain, but you know how we could get here, but yet it lacks some sense of uh, you can't equate something as basic as that and it doesn't compute, meaning there should be some sort of rapid test system. And, and obviously, you and I both know that that's probably coming as we speak to some degree at some point in time. But to your point, you're right that there, without that data set of the actual infected persons, it's hard to say, even at a localized level, how bad it can be. Right. And I've known, I've known many people in New York that actually thought they had it, stayed at home, but were told they couldn't even get a test. It's pretty frustrating. <laughs> and it's and it and it's and the costs are just so high. I mean, they're just so high right now. If you have a business that requires in-person interaction on a regular basis, what's a restaurant, entertainment, travel, it's just devastating. I mean, your revenue went essentially from whatever it was to close to zero, if not zero. But the biggest question I have on my mind is what is the signal that it's going to take to actually reopen the economy? What I pray for, and I literally mean I pray for this, is I pray for the Tammy flu of our generation. I pray for something that makes the symptoms of COVID-19 palatable enough where we can get back together in person 
give hugs again, give handshakes again, eat at restaurants again, go to movies again, travel on airplanes again, go back to our offices and be together again and collaborate in person. Because I think that's what it would take to make everybody feel comfortable. You know, we want to be back together in person. We love seeing each other in person. But I'll tell you right now, as the CEO of Data.World, I'll be just given how efficiently we're working and given the stakes for being wrong in terms of going back to work in person. And by wrong, I mean, let's imagine that you're that company or you're that summer camp for kids or you're that university that brings people back, quote unquote, early. And then the breakout happens at your company or your university or your summer camp. And that reignites this whole curve and crashes the healthcare system again. How are you going to feel? Yeah, that's that's very interesting insight, Brett, into how you view that. And I I agree with you. Nobody wants to to do that to their own workforce uh, uh, or their or their own kids. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I've set my kids' expectations that I've said, look, set your expectations low because then maybe we'll be positively surprised. We're probably not going to be able to go on our summer trip like we always do. You're probably not going to be able to do your summer camps like you always do. You're probably not going back to school until the fall. I've been telling them that for a month. Now it's pretty obvious that they're not going back. Their schools have fortunately really adapted well using Zoom and those types of technologies. I was on a podcast recently, not as the presenter, but a listener, where there's a company in Israel that may have the vaccine locked and may actually be able to put it in the world in 90 days. Hopefully that's right. There will be many heroes and many fortunes made during this time as people step up to the plate and do amazing things. We're doing our small part by making it much easier to collaborate on data on COVID-19 and all these other topics on the platform, you know, the real heroes are going to be the people that actually develop the vaccine that really figure out where this came from so that we can not have outbreaks like this again, whether it really was from a wet market in China or what was the actual origin source so that we can create policy around that. Sure. Um, but, you know, we, but we don't really know right now. Brett, as we wrap up here, what would be your piece of advice for anyone trying to weather this storm right now? We have so many people that's been laid off or on furlough. What would you tell them? Well, I think it depends on who they are. So if, if, if you're a leader in a company, let's start there because I'm a leader of a company, so I can personalize this. I've been working almost every night till midnight or 12.30. I've been leaning in like I never have before at data.world because, frankly, that's what's required right now. We have to live our B Corporation mission. We have to do our best to help the world during this really important time. We have to do the best to help our customers. Um, and what I've been doing as a leader for our own employees is I've been communicating, communicating, communicating. People need to hear a lot of communication from leadership. It needs to be clear. It needs to be motivational, but it also needs to be empathetic. You know, we have a lot of families at Data.World where they have young kids 
Um, my son is actually standing outside of my office <laughs> right now, wanting <laughs> attention. For the people at Data.World that have young families, it's really hard. You know, it takes a lot of time. Um, so that's that's from a leadership perspective: is communicate, communicate, communicate. If you're someone that's been impacted by this, as an employee that's been let go then what I would advise you to do is think very, very hard and very realistically around what companies are actually thriving in this environment and what's your prediction in terms of what companies are going to be reopening the fastest and retool your resume and retool your job search to focus on those companies because the layover effect for COVID-19 is going to have a pretty long tail. You know, for example, if you're in the airline industry and you were let go, business travel may take a long, long time to come back to its previous levels. It'll probably come back, but this is an environment where it's teaching people that they can accomplish a lot over video conference, that they can do a lot of work from home. Do they really need to go to that conference in person? Do they really need to take that business trip? Can they actually get the business done from the comfort of their home or office and not incur both that expense and the risk? These are big questions. You know, the robots, quote unquote, haven't taken over yet. I don't know if that will <laughs> ever happen. And I know that we're in an exponential curve. I get that. But who's to say that we can not exponentially also create jobs of the future? This is a time for you to really lean in, though, regardless, and orient your job search around where the near-term jobs will be, where the jobs, you know, we're hiring right now at Data.World, for example. We haven't done any reductions in force, and we're hiring. That's awesome. And I know a lot of other companies that are, too. Nobody wants to benefit from something like this. I mean, nobody wished this on the world. This is a horrible, horrible thing. And then also enjoy the virtual beauty you can tune into right now. And we're rediscovering what the internet was actually meant for and the purpose, which is really the amazing power of human collaboration and beauty. And don't just tune into the negative. Realize that there's a lot of positive happening around you, even during such a horrific time from an unemployment perspective. Brett, I thank you so much for being on the Pen and Sword podcast. And I, I certainly want to thank you for what data.world is doing to help us uh, combat the uh, virus with information collaboration. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a real pleasure and big fan of Stratfor. Keep up the great work. Brett Hurt is the CEO and founder of Data.World, a company that specializes in helping people find and use data to solve problems. Stratfor is a RAIN company. Together, Stratfor and RAIN help you prepare for and prevent risks associated with events like the current pandemic. We help you understand the why behind what's happening now. I encourage you to check us out. Visit stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's stratfor.com slash podcast offer. There's a special subscription rate for podcast listeners. I'm Fred Burton, and thank you for listening.